Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Nehemiah 4, verses 10 to 23. Nehemiah 4, verses 10 to 23. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived, who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, and to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Verse 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of the dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servants pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by the night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept this weapon, his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Charlotte, for reading for us the word this evening. Uh, before I begin sharing the word, just want to make one important announcement, just to let you all know that at the end of the service, uh, we will not have any fellowship at the site hall, all right? Simply because the youth are having an event, uh, so they have already catered some food, and about 50 of the youth will be coming down later after their service for this fellowship, all right? Uh, we do invite you to go in to say hi to them, but don't take the food, huh? Okay, just go in and say hi to them. Because you know these youth are big eaters. Huh? You would take their share, not enough, then 
a bit difficult, all right? So just to take note, but you can, we can still mingle outside just to chit-chat and to just talk to get to know one another. Right, so with that, can I perhaps just invite you to just bow our heads as we come to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> so Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that is ever true. We come now with open hearts and minds, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just impart your word in our midst to change us, to move us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the last time we left Nehemiah, we are told that he was faced with a barrage of ridicule, as well as this possible talk of war. And then we also find that despite all of this relentless torrent of insulting words and threats from the enemy, it did not succeed in affecting the resolve of the Jews in wanting to complete their God-given assignment. And so today we will continue from where we left off last week and discovered that Nehemiah overcame now two more bumps that might potentially derail the uphill task of the rebuilding of the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the first that we want to look is this area of discouragement. Now, discouragement is one of the key weapons in the vast armory of Satan in which he employs. Discouragement is something, as we know, can create a spirit of negativity that is infectious and in time will spread quickly like the COVID virus within the community. And if you recall in scriptures back in Exodus, you find that there was this discouraging assessment that kept the people from Israel from entering to the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. Numbers 13 verse 31 says that we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Now this was the report that was presented by the 10 spies to the people of Israel. And these 10 faithless spies, as we are told in Numbers 32 verse 9, that they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel. And this resulted in them wandering about in the wilderness for 40 long years until a new generation was born. And so we find that in a similar fashion, discouragement was slowly beginning to creep into Nehemiah's camp. And as you have read in the passage that Dashalat has read for us in verse 10, we are told in the beginning that the builders, they lamented. They say that the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. They say that there is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. Now, what was their reason for saying this? How did this discouragement suddenly came about for them? Well, perhaps one reason we can argue is that maybe because, you know, fatigue may have set in. After all, we are told earlier in verse 6 that they were already halfway point. You know, they were, they were doing a tremendous job. And in fact, it was quite fast that they were able to build uh, at that point in time to, to where they are at the, halfway, at the halfway mark. So perhaps fatigue, they were tired. And as a result, they were discouraged. But the key, the real key as to why they are discouraged is really found in this phrase, there is too much rubble. Indeed, for those in this rebuilding project, if you are part of these builders, 
if you are there at the time, you probably see that the amount of debris to be removed must certainly look very daunting indeed. And for sure, no one enjoys such hard labor, carrying heavy load, throwing it away, but we know that it has to be done in order for the work to proceed on. Now, at this moment in time, let me sidetrack for a moment, because what I'm going to say has got to do with your spiritual life and my spiritual life as well. You see, when we talk about rubbles, we also need to talk about spiritual rubbles in our lives. And just that there are spiritual rubbles, as, just as there are natural rubbles, there will also be spiritual rubbles. And know that these spiritual rubbles, be it from our past distance or maybe from recent times, these spiritual rubbles need to be discarded in our life or else we won't grow and progress in our walk with the Lord. Now, what then are these spiritual rubbles that tend to clutter up our lives? Now, as you look in the screen, <coughs> renowned Anglican theologian and author J.I. Packer describes them in the following caption, and I quote, Pastors and spiritual leaders today whose concern extends beyond maintenance to mission and who seek a genuine extending of God's kingdom find themselves faced again and again with what has to be classed as attitudinal rubble. And then he defines it as laziness, unbelief, procrastination, cynicism, self-absorption, infighting, and fence-sitting among the Lord's people, and many similar factors that hinder and obstruct spiritual advance. So in other words, what J.I. Packer is simply saying is this, <clears throat> that we all have spiritual rubbles. And this can be classified in one of these things that he mentioned, laziness, unbelief, procrastination, or maybe even other things. And the point that J.I. Packer is trying to point out here is this, that these things are real in our life. But if we don't remove them, they will continue to clutter up our lives and we will not be able to progress and grow in our spiritual life. That's the reality. Now, I don't know whether you noticed this, but if you came in by car, you will notice that at the car park, there is located a skid. In fact, this is the third time the skid is there. Now, the purpose of the skid is very simple, because apparently the Chinese congregation acquired and they, they acquired for the simple reason to discard the many junks that they had accumulated all these years. They finally decided that it's time to clear all this rubbish that they have been storing all this while. They need to clear it. And so similarly for us, we do need to evaluate on ourselves, perhaps on the checklist that is given here, or maybe even to look into our own lives and that to ensure that we do not possess this attitudinal rubbles because they will distort, they will halt our spiritual life. And if we do evaluate and discover that we do have them, what's important is we need to remove them. Just as what the builders have been doing, they need to remove the debris or else the work cannot be done. But returning back to our passage, what caused the people to be discouraged? Well, as I mentioned, it was because of this phrase, there is too much rubble. 
And what was happening here was simply this. The people, instead of viewing the wall that needed to be rebuilt, the people now were fixing their eyes on the amount of rubble that had to be cleared. And because they saw the rubble so much, they said to themselves, oh, this is too much work. They became discouraged. Meaning to say that their eyes only on the problem. They didn't set their eyes on the solution. No wonder we are told that they were discouraged. <coughs> and as retired Methodist Bishop Robert Solomon, commenting on this passage, he rightly said this, that the, why the people were discouraged was simply because they were looking at themselves more than at the God who strengthened them. And so the question that I pose to each and every one of us is this. What is it that we are seeing? The Jews saw the rubbles and they were discouraged. So what is it are we seeing? And if you look at the screen, you find this is a picture. <coughs> it's a picture that is a glass that is half full of water. You can say that it's a glass that's half full of water, or you can say that it's a, half, a glass that's half empty. How we view this is really depends on our perception, isn't it? If we say that the glass is half full, we view that there's more room. We become positive. We believe that there's growth. There's more that we can do. But if we view it as half empty, we can say, oh, there's still so much more work to be done. There's so much more to achieve. And we will end up being negative. And so church, in the same manner, I pose this question to you. Do we view All Saints Church English as a church potential for growth? Do we see our church as one that God can build us up? Or do we see that we are doomed to remain as we are, despite being here of over 30 years of existence? Do we see our church as half full or half empty? Our eyes fix on Jesus to solve the matter. You see, the point here is this. The moment our eyes view and perceive the wrong things, our hope will seem to vanish and we will end up like the builders, being dismayed and discouraged. So what is it are we looking? What is it are we seeing? Besides discouragement, we are also told that there was another problem that was coming up. We are told that in verse 11, there was this underlining fear that was beginning to emerge from within. The builders reported that they heard from the opposition and our enemies say they will, not, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. The issue here with the people, as with many of us, is that we are listening to the wrong voice. The builders initially were discouraged because they viewed the wrong things. They were now fearful because they were hearing the wrong voice. They were hearing what the enemy wanted them to hear instead of hearing God's promises, God's word. Instead of remembering what God told them, 
that the walls will be rebuilt, that God will be with them. They were hearing all these threats that the enemy is going to come and kill them. And listen, if we choose to listen to the words of these discouragers, if we choose to listen to the words of these naysayers and bullies, for sure they will take our attention away from the divine task and nothing else will get done. You see, Sambala and Tobiah would certainly be very happy to see that the message of fear is circulating like wildfire among the Jews, as, words, as this word of threat is being echoed from one person to another. Such rumours are effective propaganda by the enemy meant to cause the people to be afraid, to panic, leading to the abandonment of the project. Now, it was recorded in verse 12, if you look into the passage, that this rumour spread ten times from all directions. Now, if you were the Jews, I think, I don't know how you react, but probably you'd be very fearful. Because, you see, this phrase ten times in Hebrew means not ten times, but basically it's trying to tell us that it spread many times. Wherever they turn, they begin to hear that there was this rumour of war, oh, that the enemy is going to attack us. Naturally, you find, and we can't fault the crew from being fearful, because if you keep hearing this time and time again, these negative words, it will surely cause you to be dismayed, it will surely cause you to be fearful. And we know that once fear hit you, it can paralyze you. What's equally worse is that fear, being contagious, will also in no time paralyze others as well. And so this was what the people were feeling. The threat last week, as we mentioned, <coughs> ridicule and jeering. Now they are facing discouragement and fear. But yet, we are told that Nehemiah, despite of all these threats from the enemy, here was a man who was not affected. Here was a man, he stood firm. Why? Simply because he chose not to dwell on them. His focus was never on all of these things. His focus was always on the work of God. His focus was always on the promises of God. And that's where he drew his encouragement from. And so the next question for us is this. Who or what are we hearing? <coughs> you know, the story was told of a shoe salesman <coughs> who intended to head to Africa to expand his footwear business. But before departing, he was told by friends, you know, he said, don't go to Africa. You won't make a business there because he was told that Africans don't wear shoes. And so he, the more he thought about it, he says, yeah, maybe I shouldn't go there. I have a shoe business empire. Nobody will come and buy shoes for me. And so he discarded that idea. <coughs> but on the other hand, another salesman who heard this was extremely excited. Why? Because for this man, here was the opportunity for him to introduce shoes to barefooted people. The difference here between the first and the second salesman was due to what they hear. So again, what are we hearing? Are we hearing that <coughs> there's no potential for growth? 
Are we hearing the world or are we hearing what God has to speak to us? Are we hearing from the world that presents ungodly philosophies and ideologies or do we hear the promise and the encouragement that we can find in the Word of God? So what are we seeing? And what are we hearing? Moving along, we find that now Nehemiah, sensing that the people were now starting to be afraid due to all this murmuring that was going on, Nehemiah, we find like any good leader, he proceeded to act. And we find that here was a man who is a good role model of prayer as well as preparedness. And so to allay the fears of the people, we find he did a few things here. And the very first thing he did according to the passage, we are told that he, was, he posted God at the most conspicuous and valuable places on the wall. In verse 13, So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their class with swords, their spears, and their bows. So knowing that the people were afraid, that all these rumours was affecting them, and he wanted to allay their fear, <coughs> he told them, you continue the work. But this is what you will need to do. You arm yourself at the same time. You'll be equipped for work, and you'll be equipped for battle. In other words, he was getting them ready to defend the city from any possible attack. Nehemiah armed the workers with weapons. And also note, that he wisely placed them by their clans or by their family. In this way, it enabled the people to do their best in wanting to defend for themselves. So that's what Nehemiah did in the first thing. The second step that he took was to gather the nobles, he gathered the officials and the rest, and then he gave another rousing speech to show them where their help came from. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And we can summarize his cry, his rally cry in verse 14 in two parts. Part one here is an encouragement for the team not to be afraid, but to place their trust in God. And this is not just empty talk, because we know that part two, Nehemiah offers the reason why they can place their trust in God. Why? Because he declared that God is a great and awesome God. And didn't we just sung just now that, what's the title of the song? What's the title of the song? God is uh, uh, wonder. God of wonders, that God is God of wonders, that He's God, He's powerful, He's almighty. So we shouldn't be afraid. We can place our trust in this God. That if we fear the Lord, Nehemiah was trying to tell the people, we need not fear the enemy at all. And then continuing on in verse 16 onwards, we see more of the organization skills of Nehemiah. <coughs> and you know, it's been said that being organized helps handle interruption. Being organized also helps prevent wastage of time and energy. And so we find that he might organize in such a manner that half of the people would work, while the other half would stand guard with weapons by their side. 
Furthermore, those carrying burdens, you know, or, or those carrying the rubbles or the stones, and, and if they're working within and outside the wall, they will be very vulnerable. And so to protect themselves, Nehemiah further gave this instruction that they are to carry, as they carry the load, with one hand, a weapon would be on the other hand. And for those who need to carry the load with two hands, it is said that in verse 18, a sword would be strapped by the side for protection. And if this is not enough, verse 18 further tells us that Nehemiah always had a trumpet blower by his side at all times. Why? The reason is simple. Because knowing that the work, you know, was spread out in all over the place and not concentrated on one spot, the enemy could attack us from any direction. And so, if there's a need in this, in this particular area, Nehemiah will get the trumpet blower to blow and the troops will then leave their work and they will continue to go to the other side to suppress the attack from the enemy. And this ultimately gave the people hope. This ultimately gave the people confidence to carry on in the completion of the project. And if you pause to think about this for a moment, you find that in truth, the picture here <coughs> of the workers working, carrying the load one hand, and at the same time carrying a weapon at another hand, this is a picture of the Christian walk. This is a picture of what we should be doing. We are living in this world where we are always building the kingdom of God. But yet at the same time, as we have already learned, the devil will not let us off easily. The devil will always want to disrupt what we are doing. And so because as we are equipped to do the work of God, we must also be equipped for battle at any moment to fight the evil one. This is a beautiful picture of our Christian walk. In closing then, perhaps some of us today, we are facing these bumps right now in your life. It could be ridicule from friends, <coughs> some of you in your workplace, your colleagues may know that you are Christian, they may ridicule you. We may be fighting for the repeal of the 377A against the LGBT. And they may ridicule you and say, we are backwards. Come on, let's move the times. Perhaps some of you may be facing <coughs> intimidation from home. Your parents are or family members, they are not Christians. They know that you're coming to church. Maybe the younger ones will be more, will be more, uh, more applicable to them. But the parents were threatened to disown them. They face, they face this intimidation. Or maybe some of you are facing fear, fear of the unknown. When will the COVID virus continue to stop? Now we have monkeypox. What next? We have this fear. Only some of you are discouraged. Discouraged in your work, you're not progressing well. You're discouraged because you receive news of your health issue. 
whatever that you are facing, whatever bumps that you are facing today right now. And as we have looked over last week and this week, <coughs> I want you to know that whatever bumps that you have, God cares. Church, God sees, God knows, He hears. So let us not like be like the builders, you know, who are seeing and hearing the wrong things. But let us see the right thing and listen to the right voice. See that our God is bigger than all of these bombs put together. See and know that our God has the solution when we turn to Him in prayer, just as Nehemiah did. Hear the promise in God's Word that He will be there for you and I. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Father, we thank you that truly we can hold on to this promise that we can always cast our cares upon you. No matter where, no matter when, that we are having this, whatever problems we may have, we thank you, Lord, that you are always there to meet us. And perhaps for some of us here who may be facing these issues, but we are not wanting to respond, but Father, you know, you know each and every one of us here what we are going through. Would you, as the individual, just surrender them to you, as they cast their anxieties upon you, would you meet them? So, Father, we thank you that even as we continue on in the service, may your presence continue to help us. May we leave this place, hear and see the right thing. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and remain with each and every one of us now and forever. Amen.